This is Hannah Rose, and welcome to the Inspire Within podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Inspire Within. My name is Hannah Rose, and I'm your show host. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Nicole Portwood. Nicole is a marketing expert and brand builder. She has an impressive resume, serving as the former vice president and chief marketing officer of Tito's Vodka, former VP of marketing at PepsiCo, and former chief brand officer of Live Nation Entertainment. I'm so inspired by the work you have done, Nicole, and super excited to have you here today. How are you? Hi, Hannah. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the podcast and to get to share some of my experiences with you today. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. I appreciate your time. Well, I am so impressed by some of these titles that you have had and some of the work you've done in your career and think that a lot of your upbringing and just people's upbringing in general has a lot to do with how they got to where they are today. So would love for you to just take us back and hear more about where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. I think I probably had pretty unconventional beginnings to end up in on the career path that I'm on. Um, I'm the daughter of an immigrant from Lebanon uh, and my mom, who's been in Texas, her family for generations and generations. So I sort of lived my early life straddling those two cultures, which I thought I found very interesting. And um, now looking back on it as an adult, I think there was a real richness in living with, you know, my, my dad, who still was very old world, old school and very steeped in Lebanese cultures and traditions. And my mom, who was this kind of like iconic Texan American, (laughs) um, background. Uh, it was really cool. It was really cool to kind of have a foot in both of those places. Um, but I grew up in Houston, Texas. That's where I was born and raised. And, um, my mom and dad divorced when I was really young. So she was a single mom with two girls. I have an older sister and, that honestly was one of the most inspiring and like fundamental things that I think shaped my ambition, shaped my understanding of what it means to be a woman in the world and the opportunities and possibilities for you. Um, my mom did not go to college. She ended up getting like a technical degree in uh, computer programming when she was an adult and went on to have a really incredible career as a metadata architect. Um, but she was sort of that like early proof that if you can dream it, you can do it if you put your heart and soul into it. I went to school for theater um, and I actually have a degree in acting and I minored in philosophy um, from Southern Methodist University. And then I moved up to New York to make it on Broadway. That was the plan. <laughs> um, and while I had reasonable success, um, and was making a living as an actor, I was really, really unhappy. I missed a lot of the like intellectual stimulation that came with being in a university setting and a lot of the collaboration that was a part of my artistic experience there. Um, and so I very quickly decided that was not going to be a life for me. That's not what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I got a job working for a headhunter in the design world. Her name is Michelle Stull. She's an incredible woman. Um, I was doing project management work for her uh, as in this like phase after deciding I didn't want to be in, in theater anymore. And it opened my eyes to this kind of a way in which the creative world and the business world can collide in a really positive way. That wasn't something that I had really ever been exposed to. 
um, you know, maybe it's because I didn't have the kind of like career counseling and pathing that's available to a lot of young people today, but I didn't really think about or know that you could have a creative career that also was a business career. Uh, so I got really excited about that. And that kind of sparked this transition into marketing and communications and led me where I am today. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. I actually also come from um, not an acting background, but I was a dancer all growing up and always had the dream of being on Broadway too. So never happened for me, but I do think it can be hard to, if you're like an artist growing up or have that passion, it's so great to have that, but it's also kind of a battle to see, well, do I want to go the safe route and go the working route and a nine to five job that feels comfortable and routine, or do I want to try to make a career for myself in the arts? So it's great that you were able to tie the two together and find that creativity in your work as well, because I think a lot of people struggle to find that too. And so what was your first job when you realized you kind of wanted to change paths? So I went to work for Michelle, as I mentioned, and that opened my eyes to that world. I then went on to work uh, in the radio broadcasting space. I was in sales in local radio for a while and ended up like working with really small mom and pop businesses and writing whole marketing plans for them because it started with, hey, let's put together a radio schedule for you. And then I would write the copy and then I would voice the copy. And then we just got to know each other. And I started really thinking about, well, how can you build your business, not just with radio, but in general. Um, I then moved into the agency world and I uh, was working primarily for a radio agency and then went over to Universal McCann, the huge McCann uh, group media agency. And that's where my kind of love affair with the distilled spirits industry started. I was on the Brown Foreman account and they're, you know, owners of Jack Daniels and Southern Comfort of Woodford Reserve, a whole bunch of wonderful brands. Um, and I just, I was in love. I loved that business so much for so many reasons. I mean, it, it creates and is created by culture. It's social. It's really focused on brand and the importance of brand and the emotional connection to fans and consumers. Um, and I just, I, I decided that was home for me. That's what I wanted to do with myself. Cause it's just, I just loved the work so much. Uh, and then I went on to, you know, work at other agencies for other brands. And, you know, then of course landed at Tito's and, um, had the rocket ship white knuckle education job of a lifetime <laughs> building that brand. But I'm sure we'll get into more detail on that one. Yeah, for sure. And just talking about like from an agency perspective too, I know a lot of people can kind of juggle if they want to go the agency route or work in-house at a brand, either from marketing or really anywhere in business. So what's your take on that if people are kind of deciding between the two or navigating that? You know, I think um, agency work is fascinating and I'm so glad that I did it. And I rose to a pretty senior level there, which allowed me the purview over lots of different accounts in lots of different industries at the agency that I was at. And I loved that because it really fed my curiosity. Um, I think that agency work is awesome. If you really enjoy being a specialized tool, right? Like your work is very directed, very precise, very specific to a, a singular challenge for a brand or a business. I found that a little bit frustrating because it always felt like I was not getting the whole picture and that the client side was looking at the business much more holistically 
creating a brief for this very specific challenge that we as the agency needed to solve for the business, but we weren't like getting a peek behind the curtain. We didn't have the full context for it. And like I said, as, as a, a, a deeply curious person, that became frustrating for me. I found a lot more satisfaction on the client side because I did feel like understanding and being able to impact the full scope of the business was a lot more satisfying um, than just having the the kind of singular task. But like I said, there's real beauty in that and in becoming an expert, whether it's creative media, event production, there's a bazillion different ways you can act in service um, on the agency side. It's just about what you know, what works for you. Becoming super duper specialized um, is really fulfilling for lots of people. And I have lots of friends still on the agency, agency side who love it for that specificity of purpose, but also because they're able to touch a lot of different businesses, which obviously on the client side, you know, you're, you're kind of doing a lot of the same kinds of things, um, at least when you stay in a certain industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I think that even entry level, like in, in an agency world, you're learning about a lot of different accounts and businesses, and it can expose you to what you like and what you don't like too. So that's a benefit of it as well. And then on the flip side, working on the client side, in-house and a brand, you get to really like focus in on just that brand, but kind of wear multiple different hats across the business. So that definitely, you know, is an interesting, interesting take. So thank you for explaining yeah, that. You decide, do you want to go broad or do you want to go deep? Mm -hmm. Right. There are different ways to do that. Yeah, for sure. And so was your first in-house or client side job at Tito's or did you take on anything before that? No, that was my first client side job. Um, and I went from kind of media marketplace planning uh, and being, we were, we were the central agency for the client um, to kind of building and owning the entire marketing capability. And, you know, the way that, was able to happen is that Tito's was a very small company when I joined, right? We were, we weren't dealing with the machinations of this massive global organization or anything. I was helping one man turn his vision into something much bigger than it had been because Tito's had been around for a long time when I joined in 2010, but it was at one of those inflection points in the business where Tito recognized that in order to really take that next step and make the business what he envisioned it could be, he needed a team of experts to help him do that. Um, and so that's, that's why I was brought on to do it, but it was a leap of faith on both our parts. There's no doubt about it. He needed to find someone he could trust implicitly because he didn't want to be, you know, day to day in the trenches on the marketing side of things. And I, you know, needed to trust in a startup, kind of a startup, uh, and, and being willing to kind of start from square one and build something with him. So it was, uh, like I said, kind of a mutual leap of faith. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And obviously I'm sure you learned a lot from that experience and it was, you know, very rewarding too. And in terms of just working your way up to that leveling too, as chief marketing officer, do you feel like you were consistently advocating for yourself for growth throughout your career in terms of leveling and being able to lead a team manager to director to all the way up to all the way up the totem pole? Or how did that look like for you? Yeah, I think because that ascension happened at one place, it was much more driven by the results 
and the needs of the business. There wasn't that kind of um, pat ladder that you have in a lot of corporations where it's very clear you start at this level. This is around the time you should expect to get promoted here, here, here. And so you can see a path laid out in front of you. It's one of the things, frankly, that I absolutely love about startup culture is that it's based on your capability. How far, how far and how high can you go? Where can you stretch to meet the needs of a growing business? And where does your capability need to be augmented with others, right? Um, and so at Tito's, it was really about taking on the role of creating the capability, building the team, building the function, and then connecting that into the rest of the business um, rather than I started as an executor, I guess is probably the right way to say it. When I started working for Tito, I was the executor. And over time, because of the needs of the business, my responsibility scaled where I had executors on my team. And I was instead spending much more time thinking about strategy, thinking about the future, collaborating with the other pieces of the business, managing the PL, trying to make smart strategic decisions about growth opportunities. Um, yeah, so just it might role, I suppose, evolved with the changing shape of the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And would you say like, were you ever nervous to like delegate things out and kind of let go of some of that control? Or do you feel like within the hiring process of bringing people on, you were comfortable enough to do all of that? I think that's the hardest thing about moving up the proverbial ladder in your career is you really do reach a moment where, and I would say it probably happens around the like director level, um, you reach a point where if you want to continue to grow, you have to let go of things. And it's a real learning moment. And some people are great at it. And some people are really not good at it. Um, I welcomed the opportunity. I will not lie and say that I was a genius at it at first, because for me, it was like, oh, but that's not the way I would have done it. Right. And it's much easier for me to just do it myself than to spend the time to teach someone else how to do it. But that is so limiting because if you're doing it yourself, you are never going to allow yourself to get up above that headspace and start thinking much more expansively about the work, about the business, about the way you manage the people, about new opportunities. Right. So I, I, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. But what I learned through that process is that if you find people, that you know you can really trust and who have their own perspective on how to get things done, it is very, very possible and I think very fulfilling to be leading the charge on a business, setting the strategy, setting the vision and saying, look, we're at A, we need to get to Z. How you get there in your role in with your scope of responsibilities is entirely up to you. And I learned so much from the people who worked on my team because they did things in entirely novel ways that I never would have thought of. And what a gift to sort of watch people blossom in their careers and at the same time, illuminate totally new ways of thinking about problem solutions. That for me was, I think the most fun. And it was also kind of the, the part of my career where I really, really came to love the people part of it, the people management part of it, the like helping people develop their careers and providing just enough insight and guidance to like help people open themselves up to their own potential, but never telling people what to do. Cause I don't react well when people like tell me what to do. I react really well when someone says, here's a goal now I want you to use the full force of your creativity and experience to get there your way. 
Yeah, that's amazing. It definitely sounds like you had a team that you were able to empower and lift up to. And I'm sure they're all really grateful for that as well. So that's really great to have that leadership experience and kind of learn and grow from that too. I think too, Hannah, you know, most people rise to the challenge. If you allow them the space to blossom and to self-actualize, most people who have that ambition and have put themselves in a situation to be to have that asked of them will rise to it and others will fail and that's okay too right because they've learned something about themselves you've learned something about whether they do or do not fit into your culture um and you can both move forward hopefully positively having learned from that it doesn't always work i did have i think i could count on one hand maybe two people who came into the tito's organization and on paper, loved the idea of the autonomy and the ability to sort of create themselves. But then when the rubber hit the road, it was like they really needed to be told what to do. Otherwise, just sort of didn't feel comfortable, felt like they were always at sea. Um, and it, it is, it's very much like a personality and a where's your comfort level? What do you need to thrive, right? Both of those people, really, really smart, passionate, awesome human beings. But that particular culture was not a fit with the situation they needed to thrive. And so I always, you know, I, I mentor lots of, of people these days and I love it. You know, it is, it, it fills my heart, but it's one of the things I talk a lot about with people is like, you need to tune your awareness to what you need to be the best version of yourself, to continue forward on your path to self-actualization. And unfortunately that doesn't always map against what you thought you were going to do with yourself, right? Everyone, I think when you start in your career, you think, I want to do this. That's my ultimate goal. And then you get halfway there and you're like, oh my God, this is miserable. I don't want to be doing this. I hate this. And you got to have the guts to look at yourself and say, well, maybe it's time for a change. Maybe that's not the right thing for me, even though I thought it would be. Yeah. I think that's, that's so, so inspiring and such a huge thing too. I mean, I'm very early on in my career and I think I have like everything planned out, but I also need to like take a step back and realize, I think a lot of people young in their career too, take a step back and realize failure is actually really key and really important to get to where you want to be. As long as your eyes are open and you're learning from that, then that's the biggest thing. And it's so inspiring to hear from you at this point in your career and how successful you are that you've seen people go through that. I'm sure you've gone through that yourself and had to make pivotal changes in order to discover what you like and what you're interested in and comfortable with and willing to be challenged by. So that's all really great to hear and such an important lesson. Thanks. Yeah. And then just going over into some of the other jobs that you've touched on as well. So leading marketing at PepsiCo and then also chief brand officer of Live Nation. If you could talk us through, you know, the times that you spent there just in a high level, that would be great as well. Sure. Um, So when I left Tito's, it was that was obviously a really hard decision. That place genuinely was like family. We went through so much together and I'm still very, very close to a lot of people at that organization. And a loyalist. They're awesome human beings. Um, but what I felt like I needed as a person, yes, certainly as part of my career development, but as a human being was something completely different, right? Like I didn't want to continue into the spirits world because I felt honestly a very sort of, I I felt loyalty to the work I had done at Tito's and to Tito as a person. And I knew if I went into another spirits company immediately, they would either ask me to tear down what I had just spent nine years of my life building, which was not an option or to replicate it. 
And replicating something that's lightning in a bottle like that is is almost impossible. And I knew that that would be setting myself up for failure and disappointment. So I wanted to try something really different. And what was so appealing about the opportunity at PepsiCo was, number one, Fortune 50 company, right? This is a massive global organization with 285,000 employees and a global footprint all over the world. Huge business, an $8.5 billion business in Mountain Dew. And the challenge was, hey, this has been in decline for a long time, and we need an outside perspective to come in and turn the business around. And I'm, I guess, a glutton for punishment because I was like, what an awesome sounding challenge. This sounds like great fun. Let's go do it. And I was right. It was great fun. I think there are definitely challenges to being an outsider coming into such a massive organization that tends to have a great deal of staying power, right? The people who are in senior positions at PepsiCo have been at that organization for decades, and they know the inner workings inside and out and have their ways of doing things that are clearly very successful. And so to come as an in as an outsider, um, it 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 was tough, right? Like everyone knew each other. They grew up together. They welcomed me with open arms, which was incredible. There was a tremendous amount of generosity of spirit and of intellect and support. Um, and I'll always be grateful for that. But it was a day one, you own this. This is your problem now and you have to fix this business. I would say the first year of that job is one of the hardest years of my career and of my life. I was learning a new industry I went from working at this very small familial organization where I personally onboarded about 95% of the employees to a place that you could literally work in the same company on the same floor with someone for five years and have no idea that y'all were at the same company, right? It's like a very, very different structure. Um, and also one that had a lot of very specific processes. So I had a lot to learn in a very short period of time with a business that was on fire needed to be turned around. And ultimately, I think that, that that challenge and that urgency really ignited something in me. And I learned an unbelievable amount in the course of that first year. I looked back on it and was like, oh my gosh, I, this is crazy. I can talk about things fluently now that were literally a foreign language to me 12 months ago. And to be at that point in my career and still be learning so much I think it's such an extraordinary gift. Yeah. Um, what I learned at PepsiCo, in addition to, you know, like this macro things about supply chains and R&D capabilities and timelines and price pack architecture, all of these like really, really, really important things that frankly have set me up for success in doing what I'm doing now. Um, I also learned that there's a lot to be gleaned from those massive corporations about what works really well in a massive corporation, right? There are, I think lots of times people start businesses and the aspiration is to grow and to maybe ultimately become one of those massive businesses. And so really kind of interrogating the things that make it work and separating those from the limiters to success, which there are plenty of, and the limiters to innovation and the limiters to agility. I think if you can kind of combine those two things, you can begin to really suss out, well, what's, what's a recipe for success when you're starting a new business, when you're entering into a new category? What are the things that, you know, the PepsiCo's of the world are going to be so, so, so good at? that I need to strive to also be good at if I want to succeed? And where can I break from that and offer something new and fresh that something of that scale can't do? 
because they have, it's, it's like a battleship, you know, you can't turn things on a dime and um, innovation is difficult. I got to do two Super Bowl commercials while I was there, which I think is a bucket list thing for a lot of marketers. It's not something I ever thought I'd get to do because I was in spirits and that was not a path open to us for most of my career. Um, yeah. And it is now in limited ways. So yeah, I mean, I, my time there was indelible, massive education, incredible people, the smartest people I've ever worked with um, were at PepsiCo and really, really strategic. That probably was more than you wanted to know about it, but it was, oh, it was such fun. Yeah, Yeah. we turned the business around. That was, you know, that was the good thing. Um, But you talk about empowering people. You know, I had this team of just wildly talented people, wildly talented. And oftentimes, especially in those first couple of months, sitting around the table with these people who clearly knew way more than I did about this business in particular, it was very humbling, you know, because like, who am I to tell you what to do? Who am I to lead this? Because you all know so much. But ultimately, the task there was to pull the very best out of all of these remarkable people and then point it all in one direction. That's if I had to like sum up what I feel like I accomplished there, that's what it was. The capability was always there. It was just to get it moving in the right way. Um, And we did, we did. I'm really proud of the work I accomplished there. Yeah, that's amazing. Such an accomplishment. And I think a lot of times that we on Inspire Within in previous episodes, we talked about imposter syndrome and just feeling like, yeah, well, who am I in this room or like questioning everything that you've done and the accomplishments that you've had. So it sounds like that was something you were battling with a little bit then too. In your career now, do you feel like that's something that plays a part at all? Or you ever have those thoughts cross your mind or not so much anymore? Oh, I don't think that ever goes away. Um, And I think, unfortunately, it's more true for women. um, And that's been my experience anyway. I don't think you ever stop thinking, can I actually do this? And if you do, maybe you're not pushing yourself hard enough, or maybe you don't want to push yourself, right? Like, let's just take a moment and say, you don't always have to be charging hard for the rest of your entire life, right? But I think that bit of fear is, can be really motivating if you contextualize it appropriately for yourself. Can I do this? Do I belong here? Yes, you do, is the answer. And certainly if you have a champion who believes that you belong there as well, whether that's your hiring manager or a peer or whatever the case is, what I have learned is that first of all, succumbing to that is like death, right? That's, you can't, you got to just say, well, I'm here for a reason. I earned it. I'm going to learn whatever I need to learn. And I'm going to, I'm going to make my impact. What I have learned as I've progressed in my career is that up to a point The fake it till you make it strategy is super important. And I did a lot of that. I pretended to know things I did not know. And then I would go furiously research them until I figured out what was happening. Right. But you get to a point in your career where um, pretending to know something can actually be very dangerous for the business. And you are not in a position to fake like you understand something or know something because you're making important decisions that can have massive impact now and further downstream and not just impact the business, but the people who are making that business run. And so I think there's a point at which humility and an acknowledgement of ignorance about something is a really important trait in senior leaders. 
Because if you can't ask for help in understanding something, if you truly don't understand it, you're not going to make good decisions. And just like I said, recognizing the downstream impact of that on the business and on the people is really, really important. So I've asked a lot more questions and been unabashedly ignorant about things later in my career than I ever would have dared to be much earlier on. And I think, you know, again, part of that is because earlier on, the things you don't know tend to be very functional, things that you can go look up or ask someone like, what, eh, what is this? And now I know and everything's fine. As you get further along, it's much more about synthesizing information and about making strategic decisions and strategic connections. And so you ask questions in order to better inform that process versus asking like, what does that word mean? Right. Which is a thing yeah. that it has, it's, it's an empirical thing that you can go find out. Yeah. So the fake it till you make it can only get so far. But when it comes to making those big strategic decisions, we definitely asking more questions is important. You're saying I'm hearing from that. So. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. And not being afraid to admit when you don't know something um, because you recognize the impact that your decisions have and making poorly informed decisions is disastrous. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you there. And I think it gets more, you know, consequential as you get later down the line in your career too. Um, Thank you for sharing all of that. And I just want to touch on, you know, I know you've pivoted towards the entrepreneurship space now. So I want to hear more of your thought process around leaving corporate America and kind of where that decision came from. And then just in terms of your, you know, the entrepreneurship route, how that's going and just like your thoughts around, you know, the lifestyle change, the balance, everything like that. Sure. Um, so I've always had a kind of an entrepreneurial streak. My husband and I owned a pizza restaurant in Austin for 10 years and we sold it before we moved back up to New York. Um, I ran a theater with a childhood friend of mine when I lived in Austin. I've always really enjoyed that kind of like ownership of something and the 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 very short bridges between dreaming and doing, right? And that if I could sum up entrepreneurship, I think there, there's a lot of that. It's that you just get to create and make and make manifest the things that are in your mind. I got to do a lot of that at Tito's. My whole nine years there was that. It was doing things and making things and making manifest the visions for the business. And in, cor- in the corporate space, I learned a whole new set of skills, right? And I think there's tremendous value in understanding motivations and agendas within an organization and kind of mapping those against each other for big picture solutions that can move entire markets. Um, but I really missed the creation piece. I think that in the corporate world, there is a lot of time and energy spent on making sure the answer is right on justifying that up and down the organization to give confidence at the most senior level. And then that goes to investor confidence as well, which is such a huge, important part of the of corporate machinations is keeping the investor uh, confidence and, and shareholder value in mind, especially at a senior level. Um, and that, I think... That can slow things down, obviously, and for good reason. Again, like, let's just be clear. Um, But I found it a little bit frustrating. And I really missed this kind of like full picture ownership. Let's dream it. Let's do it. Let's fail quickly. I know this like fail fast thing. It's, It's very cliche, but it's super true. And when I'm in a situation where my curiosity can go all the way to the finish line and we can figure out like, oh, was that a good idea? Oh, that was not a good idea. Okay, what did we learn? Let's pick it up and let's go this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that very invigorating. In all, in like total candor, I will also say that 
in this, at this point in my life, I very much relish the opportunity to be an expert in something. I've been pushing myself to learn new industries for a long time. Um, and, you know, we didn't really talk a lot about Live Nation, but there again was a complete pivot out of the packaged good wor- goods world into the world of entertainment. Um, and I learned again so much. Um, but I am really enjoying the opportunity to be an expert in what I'm doing and to bring value day one. To, there is always a learning curve, always a learning curve, but it's not a functional tactical learning curve. It's a lear- it's an idiosyncratic learning curve. Like what, what about this specific thing do I need to learn as opposed to this is a whole new industry. I don't understand any of your acronyms. How does your accounting work? Right? Like yeah. those are like much bigger, different things. And so I think, you know, again, it, it goes back to one of those, those through lines, which is you have to listen to yourself I have always believed that, well, for me anyway, work is definitely a big part of my identity and for better or worse, right? Like some people are not built that way. I am built that way and work is a big part of my identity. And so for me, searching for joy in that work is a big, big part of how I maintain my energy, how I feel full and happy at the end of the day is just making sure that I'm centering work that feeds me back, that doesn't feel like I'm just giving to it. Um, And there have been definitely been times in my life and in my career where the work has just felt like it was draining me of my life force. Um, And at first I think, you know, again, you blame yourself. You're like, what am I doing wrong? It's like, you know what, maybe I'm not doing anything wrong. Maybe this just isn't the kind of work that makes me happy. Okay. So what does that mean? What are the things that I love about this? What are the things that just feel draining and impossible and can I craft something either here by talking to the people I work with about what I need to feel fulfilled and more productive or by looking for another opportunity? Yeah. Um, that kind of like agency over your own path, I think is so, so important. And, you know, now there's so much conversation about taking care of yourself, about getting the work, right kind of work-life balance. You're, you are in control of so many of those things, but it does require that you sort of put a magnifying glass on yourself and figure out what things you love, what things you're willing to tolerate and what you just cannot abide because it sucks your life force away. Yeah, for sure. I think that's so empowering too. And just, you know, seeing right now in corporate America, it's definitely such a candidate's market and it's all about the people coming in to the companies. And I think that corporations are starting to open their eyes to that too, and realize that they need to truthfully take care of their employees and bring the next best thing always to them as well and just make sure that they're taken care of so they're happy where they are. So I definitely hear you on all that and wish you the best in your entrepreneurship journey. Um, And to just leave us off, would love to hear any tips of advice for emerging entrepreneurs or people young in their career that are looking to hopefully get to, you know, where you are today as well. All right. I, uh, I hopefully I won't repeat myself too much. Um, I think exploration and curiosity are so important for your whole life, right? Not just your work, but definitely in your work and in, in life in general, I've found that my love for people and my curiosity about the world have supported me on this journey more than just about anything else. Um, that said, I also think there's value in if you find something that you just love, 
Don't be afraid to become an expert and go deep on that thing. Don't let anybody else tell you, oh, you're pigeonholing yourself. That's what they told me at the agency when I refused to be rotated onto Johnson & Johnson or L'Oreal. Like, you're going to pigeonhole yourself. It's like, fine, I love this pigeonhole. It's beautiful in here. This is where I want to live, right? Like, own that and don't, don't, um, don't let anyone dissuade you from something like that. Um, and then the other, I guess the, the other macro thing is that there, as I mentioned, there's that inflection point in a career where you, you stop being the doer of the things and you start being the person who empowers people to become their very best and to do their very best work and to pull the magic out of them. Management and career development beyond a certain point is about people like period because you can set all the vision and strategy you want but if you can't inspire and empower people to deliver against it then you'll fail every single time so those relationships and the way you give people wings that's vital to your own success um so thinking about it that way that you have to be able to push your ego to the side and take on the role of developing other people and empowering them. Um, It's hard to do, but I think it's really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's such amazing advice. I really appreciate it. You've definitely empowered and inspired me today and my career. So I'm definitely going to take all this advice and run with it too. So thank you so much. I'm so excited to see what you do next. And I definitely hope to stay connected with you too, Nicole. So thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Hannah. It's been such a pleasure. And when I'm finally able to talk in detail about what I'm doing, I'd love to come back on and share all that awesome news with you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Of course, thanks, Nicole.